Hello, this is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt, and with me today we have Tracy. Good morning. We've got Karen. Hello. We do not have Eric. He has abandoned us for the weekend. Boo. Boo, Eric. I don't know what he's doing. Spending some family time up in the mountains is what he told me. So we'll look forward to seeing Eric next week. Uh, anybody, you know, he's he's off doing fun summer stuff. Anybody have any plans to do any fun summer stuff this this uh, summer? Well, are we allowed to? I, I wasn't sure if we were allowed to have summer this year. I know. Uh, yeah, I know. You can try. <laughs> Um, Well, I actually, I just finished a quarter of school last night, so I get a little break now before my next quarter starts. So I have a few weeks to act up, act out, whatever. And um, so today I am starting off with laying in the sun, which is one of my favorite parts of summer. Mm. And then later I will, I am going to dinner with a friend. So I'm excited about that. Are redheads allowed to lay in the sun? Yes. If you're part Indian, you're definitely allowed to lay in the sun. I actually get quite brown while I freckle. Thanks. <laughs> hey, what about you, Tracy? Got any? No, I think it's all staycation this year. Staycation. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, my son is getting ready to transfer back, so he will be in town next Saturday for just a couple of days before he has to go to... He got his dream job of um, with the Coast Guard of um, patrolling the Statue of Liberty. So oh, he cool. went to Staten Island. That can't be. Uh, they don't probably just toss that one out, do they? No. It, but in, in light of everything that's going on, it's. I don't know if it's a, you know, that great of a blessing, but you know that's what he wanted to do. So yeah. he gets his dream that's job. Cool. That is still pretty cool. It is. Does he get a break? Like, how does that work? Is there a little break between posts or is that this weekend? Is that what you're talking about? He gets a little bit of leave, but they're not giving anybody leave with the whole pandemic kind of thing going on. So he has to basically, they give him like 10 days to drive from the West Coast to the East Coast. So he's going to pit here for a couple of days and then continue the journey. Well, first of all, that's a cool drive. I mean, that's a cool drive. Yep. So he's looking forward to it. Wow. Huh. Well, that'll be a big change in scenery and in people style and in like ambiance and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm not doing anything nearly that cool. I'm gonna. Well, towards the end of July, we're we've got a wedding to go to. My wife's cousin's daughter, who we watched grow up since she was little, is getting married up in. Up in northern Wyoming. And so we're going to head up there. And it, they're getting married the day after our anniversary. So that, and it's our 25th anniversary. So that's kind okay. of, uh, that between that and COVID, our 25th anniversary just kind of got shot. But, um, when but since we're going, hmm? When is your anniversary? July 30. Oh, that's when mine was. Mm. That's nice. Well, I'm keeping the faith, Karen. Good. Do better than mine did. Well, we are going on 25. That's true. But uh, since we're going to be up in northern Wyoming, um, the boys have never been to Devil's Tower, and I've only been there once, so we're going to take a little jaunt over there and show them that. Oh, nice. 
I don't think the I don't think the uh, visitor centers open anything like that. But you could still go look at the rock. So yeah, you can go hike around it. There's lots of trails all the way around it. That's cool. That's yeah. a fun day. Yeah. So that's we're gonna we're we're gonna take a little time end of the month and go do that, and that'll be pretty cool. Mm-hmm. We'll make them watch Close Encounters before we go. Mm. <laughs> no. Uh, anyway, uh, let's get into our uh, discussion for the day. Now we're gonna start. Exodus chapter 33 today, and I think we're, I don't see any reason why we couldn't just finish finish the uh, the book today. We have recently been going through a lot of discussions of God telling the people how to build the, the tabernacle, what to do in the tabernacle, uh, what's going to go into the tabernacle, lots of discussion about that. The chapter we're starting today, 33, begins then with God telling to Moses, it's time for you guys to go. They've been sitting around Sinai for a while. Almost a year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Crazy. That's so crazy. When they were yeah. When they were supposed to be going into Canaan and now they've been sitting here. I don't know. I just I try to put myself into their shoes and just wonder what it would be like. And they had to have been going, Why aren't we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Don't and God's going this desert God. over. Yeah, God is going. We'll get there when we get there. So, uh, you know, too. I was I was reading in another book that was saying that they literally got to the point where they just were thinking this valley was their home. I can they got imagine. Kind of upset when they had to leave. I would imagine you get you yeah, get settled in somewhere. Yeah. Who likes to move? I hate moving. You got to pack and and then you got to yeah you got to move and then you got to unpack. You know and. From what we've been seeing, they had a lot of stuff with them that they had to move around. And we're going to find out <laughs> when we get into certain parts here, we're going to find out they were carrying a lot of stuff with them. These people did not know how to pack light. Oh, my oh, goodness. Man. No, they didn't. I mean, and you think how they had they were supposed to leave quickly, but yet they had all this stuff to be able to build the, the, the temple or the uh, sanctuary. And as we're going to find out as we get down there. That was not a little tiny little bit of stuff. They had a lot of stuff. Now, somebody in one of our last episodes, I don't remember, maybe it was you, Tracy, pointed out that God was going to be going before them and driving everybody out in mm-hmm. in in their uh, in their path. And in verse two, he comes right out and says, "I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, and the Hittites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites." Mm-hmm. He's definitely pointing out that he's going to do this thing. And, uh, yeah, we, that's where they failed to, to realize that. I don't know if they maybe just weren't paying attention to what he was saying, but it took them totally out of it. He was going to do the work. It was another I am moment. Definitely. Definitely. I, you know, I've, people tend to hear what they want to hear. or the, and A lot of times it seems like they tend to think the worst. Uh, you've probably noticed a lot of times you'll just ask somebody a simple question, especially kids. Try to ask a kid a simple yes or no question, and rather than answer it, they try to give you reasons and excuses. And you're like, I just I just want an answer, you know. So same thing here. It's like they didn't hear what he said. They heard what they wanted to hear or heard what they thought they should hear. Worst case but, scenario thinking. Yeah. Yeah, it's like people just immediately think that things are going to go bad and that and that uh, they've got to try to stem that off. And maybe, I think that's probably what's happening here. 
God is saying, I'm going to do this thing. And people are hearing, we're going to have to do this thing. We're going to have to go clear out all the Canaanites. And I think it's, I think it's cool. I mean, it, it honestly, it puts the people in their place. Yeah. Um, when I had to, I had to chuckle. So, so everybody in the podcast has kids, but my kids are grown. <clears throat> it's not cause I'm the oldest. <laughs> it's cause I started younger. <laughs> so, so okay. like my kids are grown and gone and I'm a grandma and, and so it makes total sense to me in verse three, where God says, go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. But I will not go with you because you are a stiff necked people and I might destroy you on the way. <laughs> <laughs> Don't make me pull this car over. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I read that and I think to myself, mm-hmm, there's parenting right there. Yep. And that is in himself a nation. Yeah. So I wonder, you know, I mean, stiff necked, of course, it's, I, you know, my notes here I put um, it's probably because of their idolatry there at Sinai. I mean, they had just been pulled out of there, out of Egypt. Moses is gone for 40 days or less at that point, really. And they immediately go and, and just jump right into old habits. And well, stiff-necked is like stubborn, right? Yes, like, I yeah. will not bend. I'm just going to stand here with my opinions and I will not bend. Like, that's kind of what that is, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so, I yeah, I kind of just took that as them not willing to change their ways. Go ahead, or, uh, Tracy. It had a lot to do with them you know, knowing what was required of them and not doing it. And after seeing um, or after listening to to Moses and the rules and everything that we've gone over, they still didn't want to do it. The minute they got a break from that leadership, when he went to um, talk with God on Sinai, they, they totally lost it. Mm-hmm. Well, how many times have you tell your kids to go do the dishes and they're like, okay, I'll, I'll do it. And... You get there, you come back later in the afternoon, it's not done. Or the, or it's done, but it's done terrible. <laughs> or it's done no. terribly. Yeah, if I do this bad enough, they won't make me do it again. <laughs> See, verses 4 and 6, there's something there about not wearing any ornaments. Well, that was because they were mourning. Like, that was a yeah. symbol of being upset. It's like, I can't even bother to make myself look nice. All I can do is think about what's bothering me. Like, that's mm -hmm. kind of what that is. Yeah. Okay, because God says, take off your ornaments uh -huh. that I may know what to do to you. And I'm yeah. kind of wondering if maybe these ornaments didn't have some pagan significance. Maybe this was still stuff that they had brought from Egypt with them. Uh, we know they'd already taken off a lot of jewelry and stuff to make that golden calf. Clearly, they still had some stuff. Uh, and kind of has me thinking, God's just saying, you know what? You need to get rid of that so that we can, we can move forward. Now, Moses is going to go meet with God. Again, and this tent, man, this tent of meeting in mm -hmm. seven through eleven, man, I need me a, I need me a tent of meeting. That thing sounds like, yeah, wow, that's so cool. It's a place where you can go and just, and it says that that Moses and God, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Ah, mm -hmm. ah I want yeah. that. Yeah, and I mean, this... I don't I die, but in my head, I want that. You know, it says that Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp. But this is not, yes, he called it the tabernacle meeting. This is yeah. not, this isn't the sanctuary, is it? No, it's no. tent. It's this just is just tent. his tent. It's just a tent because right now with God removing himself, they, um, they actually moved the sanctuary outside because usually everything was encamped around it. 
but he was the Lord was so upset at what happened, he moved the tent out mm-hmm. from the midst of them, as well as Moses moved out there too, because he said he basically wasn't gonna dwell with him at this point. That's how upset he was about the whole idolatry thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this is a separate tent, but then it does go right back into whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle. So so when he would leave there and go to the tabernacle, everybody would watch him go. And anytime he was there, that pillar of cloud would descend. That had to have been a thing to see. You know, it wouldn't have been like just, you know, fog just showed up randomly at times. But this literally, Moses would go in. And this cloud would come down right over that tabernacle. It's and you the, would, I assumed it was the same pillar of cloud that led them by day when they left Egypt and were going to the Red Sea. Yeah. That's the way I take it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's the way I took it. Sure, for sure. Um, because I'm pretty sure there was somewhere I read here, too, in that chapter that at night it was the fire. So, yeah, it was definitely the yeah. same thing going on. Moses starts talking to God and... Um, He's like, you want us to go, but we are, if you're not going to come with us, don't make us go. Pretty good attitude to have, I think. Uh, yeah, it actually, it actually reminded me a little bit of, ouch. Um, it actually reminded me a little bit of Jacob when he was wrestling with the angel, when he realized that it's a supernatural being. And he says, I will not let you go until you bless me. It mm-hmm. kind of sounded like that to me. And I, I really like that sort of tenacity. Like yeah. just, you know, God says that he's there for you and assume that he's going to be. And if you're in doubt, cling harder. Let right. him prove himself. He will. He's proved himself over and over and he'll do it again. Just hang on. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the example of, of Moses in general is that, you know, at every turn he had them talking, talking about him, you know, upset at him, wanting to go back. And at some point even wanting to stone him. And, you know, it was like, you know, what do I need to do? And all he could do was cling to God. And I think that's the reason really that he had a lot of these meetings and such a close relationship with God because him relying on his people was not working. They were, like he said, like God said, they were stiff-necked people. He could not please them. Yeah. Now, verse 16 Moses makes a really good point here. He says, how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight, except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. Moses is recognizing here that God's presence with them really has set them apart. That not, it's more than just that they got away from Egypt, but that God led them from Egypt. And everybody around knows that God led them from Egypt. And he wants to keep that going he wants people to continue to be able to see if maybe they didn't hear about the whole parting of the red sea that that uh this is a special group of people you know the special olympics are special (laughs) (laughs) oh i shouldn't laugh at that don't make me laugh at that karen karen you're off karen you are terrible I'm just saying the word special has lots of meanings. So if you're a, if you belong to a special people, I'm just saying we're also called sheep and sheep are not thinkers are not uh, thinkers. Yeah. Let's just go with that. Sheep aren't thinkers. Yeah. Yeah. But they are 
they are separate because of God's presence with them. And that's the point he's making. You know, if, when you're reading this, it's almost like you think Moses is trying to change God's mind. And I actually read something even just this morning where the author was trying to say that that Moses was changing God's mind. I really don't think that's the case. I, I, I really think that God here was uh, getting doing what was necessary to keep the people in uh, in the frame of mind where they wanted him to be with him. Kind of like when you take something away from somebody, maybe they didn't know they wanted it until they didn't have it, you know? Yeah, I guess uh, I can see that. You know, I mean, because it's not, it's, this, is not, this is not Moses changing God's mind. Hey, God, you know, why don't you change your mind to come with us? I don't think so. I think God always intended that he was going to go with the Israelites into Canaan. Yeah, and and uh, I think it was a petition once again with by Moses to say, you know what? I know the people have messed up. I know that your anger, you know, for the lack of a better term, waxes hot against them at this point. And but I know that we cannot do this without you. Mm hmm. So I think, but, you know, along the same lines, Moses, apparently he could sway God when he talked to him because, you know, kind of jumping forward, you know, God had to tell him, you know, stop, stop begging me to go into Canaan. You know, what I've already said is what I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. Well, now this is, this is kind of interesting. Um, and the Bible isn't necessarily written, uh, written chronologically, which sometimes frustrates me, but like we already talked about how up in the earlier part of chapter 33, the Lord said to Moses, um, oh, wait, where'd it go? I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. Okay? Mm -hmm. It says, I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, but I will not go with you. All right, so now we're reading this a few minutes later, a few verses later, but, but chronologically did this actually happen later? So in verse 14, the Lord says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. Mm. You see what I'm getting at? Like, uh -huh. like God, our, God just said to him, my presence will go with you. And so was this more of an emphatic statement from Moses? Like, well, it it better because we can't do this without <laughs> yeah. you. you know, like, what, what? We're not going to go with this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was the like way that. I was reading it, but yeah, yeah, like you say, things aren't written strictly chronological, like you say, and sometimes even within chapters, you bounce around and you kind of have to read between the lines. Yeah, so, but it just, it just seems like a weird response. The Lord said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you're pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? See, it's like, what? Why are you arguing now? He already said he's going with you. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. Maybe I kind of didn't understand that. Maybe he was just worried in light of everything else that had gone on that, you know, they weren't going to yeah. live up yeah. to it again. And just, you know, because when he already knew when they weren't against him, Calamities happened, bad things happened, and right. it wasn't always to their benefit, and a lot of people end up losing their lives, so please don't send us if you're not going to go with us, because it's not going to turn out well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of the way I saw that. Well, Moses asked for his, 
this special thing from God. And he says, please show me your glory. Now, this was interesting to me because Moses has spoken one-on-one to God many times up to this point. But it's if like it's he's... Chronological. If it's chronological. If it's chronological. <laughs> yeah. But he's wanting something different. I'm not different. I don't know. He, he Special. He wants something special here. And he's asking God, Show me your glory. Now, what is he asking to see? I don't really know. But God tells him, I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. Now, I looked that up in the uh, complete Jewish Bible, and that name of the Lord that they put down is Adonai. Uh, But if you look in the Strong's Concordance, when you get to, it doesn't give you name of the Lord, but when you look up Lord, the word they're using is Jehovah, or as we would say, Jehovah, and which means self-existent or eternal. But, I am. Um, mm-hmm, I am. But he does show, God does, he agrees, he's going to show Moses something here different than what Moses has seen. And we have seen several times where God has appeared as, I'm going to say as a human, to different people you know he showed up to abram he has met well i guess we don't know exactly how he's met with moses now because there really was never any indication of a personal you know looking at a a person with two arms and two legs and a head uh because i guess he saw him in the in a bush and he's talked to him in the clouds on on sinai presence yeah presence Mm -hmm. he's wanting something something different here and and God's response is so interesting. He says, "He says you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live." Which tells me that Abram saw something different than what Moses has been seeing. I'm, I mean, we know that Abram sat down, had a meal with God and a couple of angels, or at least that's been our take on it. Yeah, but that didn't leave Abram glowing. No, that we didn't, will talk that about didn't that. Leave him glow- so, so when I, I think that this whole glory thing, I think that's more of a show me your unfiltered self. Like, don't dumb it down for me just because I'm a human. Like, I'm also your friend, and I really want to see you. And God says, "Well, you can't, but I'll show you as much of myself as I can without killing you." Mm-hmm. Now, some of what I'm reading here in verse 19, chapter 33, still. God sort of gives a description of what he's going to show Moses, and it's going to require us to kind of wrap our brains around what he's saying here. He says, I will make all my goodness pass before you. So first of all, he's 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 alluding that he is good, which we I don't think we're going to argue that at all. But then he says, I will pro- proclaim the name of the Lord before you, which I just talked about. But then he goes into this. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. Mm-hmm. That's like that's that's his little brief description of himself. This is what his goodness is. If I want to be compassionate mm-hmm. to somebody, I'm going to be. You have a different I, idea there? I do. I actually think that he's describing different components of what makes up what he considers to be his glory. Okay. Well, that's yeah. Yeah, I think that's kind of what I'm intending to say. Maybe maybe you're saying it better. But he says, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. And then he's like, okay, you're going to stand in this rock or by this rock, and I'm going to come by you, and I'm going to put my my hand out when I go by, 
And when I go by, then you'll see my back, but you won't see my face. So whatever it is that that Moses is getting ready to see here is something so intense that a human being wouldn't be able to withstand it. And normally when we think of things that we can't withstand, we would think of, I mean, I would think more of things of violence or evil or destruction. That's because you live here on planet Earth. Yeah. That's the most powerful stuff around that we can lay our eyes on is the sort of horrors that happen around us. And we don't, I've never had a, I've never had a supernatural experience with something positive. Mm -hmm. But here it's like God is saying, I am so good, you can't handle it. And that is an interesting concept to think of, that human beings can't handle ultimate goodness. It's just more than we can even fathom. I mean, we probably can't even, we can barely comprehend it, probably can't comprehend it, what it really means. But to the point where if we were really to see it, we are so corrupted that it would just, destroy us well okay so if you go if you go to revelation Mm -hmm. and it describes the second coming Mm -hmm. that's where the whole earth sees the unfiltered glory of god Mm -hmm. like no rock there's no hand there's no shelter you're face to face with heavenly glory and Mm -hmm. you've got people running to the mountains and crying out for them to fall on them and hide them like, yeah. that's the human's reaction to God's glory. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if I'm thinking right, nobody really gets to see, well, we they will see Jesus in the clouds. But it seems to me that all that destruction stuff, that happens after the righteous people have been taken away and recreated, so to speak. Okay. You know? So I'm thinking that maybe it, it's going to require that recreation for mankind to be able to withstand that level of of uh, what do we call it glory, I guess. Well, okay, but also if you think ahead to the way it describes the New Jerusalem, it says that God's presence is in the city, and there is there's no night there, and there's no sun. They don't mm-hmm. have need of the sun because God's glory lights the place. Right. Like that's. That's that that's stuff powerful. I can't even – yeah, like how do you even get your brain around that? You know, and I think that's kind of what I was – when I was reading it, I was looking more at Moses had been so blessed and Moses prayed and asked bold things. And I think at this point, God had provided for him. He had delivered them. And now Moses was just I honestly stepping up his prayer just to say, you know what? Show me all your power. Because you've showed me a lot already, you know, and I think it was just that asking something bold that nothing never had been done before that God was like, you know, I've showed you a lot already. Why not show you this? And it says he he stood in the cleft of a rock. So he was he was sheltered on all the sides except just the front. And God said, I'm even going to put my hand in front of your eyes because you can't take it. You'll Mm -hmm. look at my back. You won't look at my face. But, you know, you still can't take it. And I think it was just another way of Moses saying, you know what? Show me everything. Yeah. Yeah. And basically God saying, I really can't. <laughs> I can't. You but can't. I'll, give, I'll give you everything you can handle. Mm-hmm. Right. 
Okay, well, we get into chapter 34 next, and God, it starts out with God telling Moses, you need to make two new tablets. Remember those that you threw down and broke when you got mad at the Israelites? Well, you you get to carve a couple new ones now, and then I'm going to write the commandments back on them. Okay, so does this seem like these people were walking around with skills that none of us have today? Because if somebody said to me, God needs to write something down. Go carve out a couple of stone tablets. I wouldn't even know where to start. I don't I, have the tools to do it. I I don't even, you, you know what I mean? Like, that's so, like, hey, carve out a couple of stone tablets and come see me. I need to write something down. Sure, yeah. Don't know what they look like. I mean, or how big they were. We really don't have any concept. I mean. We well, can, Moses uh, had seen the first set, so I'm not, I wasn't thinking about it like that. I'm just talking about, like, yeah. Just this, 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 the the type of everyday skills that these people had because of the era that they lived yeah. in were so different from anything we have now. Yeah, no, I just, I, I just meant that whatever Moses made, you know, how whatever they looked like. I mean, we don't know what uh, necessarily know how much skill was put into it, but he definitely had an idea of how to do it. Go ahead, Tracy. You know, and I think too that, you know, maybe we, we've overlooked that that God abundantly blessed this, these, this, this group of people there while they were journeying that he gave them extra power. He gave them extra skill to build this stuff for the tabernacle. You know, they didn't get sick. Their clothes didn't wear out. You know, I think yeah. that they just had, you know, God's favor at this point to do some of these things. Mm-hmm. That's true. So he's gonna he's gonna make these tablets. God is gonna re reissue the the Ten Commandments. This will be the ones that get put in the ark later. And then in verses five to seven, let's see here. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. Now this is interesting. I'm not sure if this is still the whole cleft of the rock thing. But what he proclaims next is very interesting as I'm taking this to be the name of the Lord, where he he puts out this this description of himself, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. To me, it's almost like that was God saying, this is who I am. This is my name. God doesn't really necessarily have a quote-unquote name as we think of a name. You know, I look at Tracy, I say Tracy. I look at Karen, I say Karen. Um, But God's name is more of a concept, it would seem, where we've put names to it. And he's got this he's got this idea of himself as merciful and gracious and long suffering. All these things that we as human beings we have to think about being, and God just is. What do you think? I do. And I think this is where the part where that that anger waxing hot against the people, this is where it was quenched again. Going up, getting the rules again and saying, Okay, you are still my people. I'm still going to continue to be long-suffering with you and show you grace and mercy and reestablish with them again. Mm-hmm. So, let's see, where was I? Lost my train of thought. Well, when I was reading this, this other book, too, it was saying that 
this was again another 40 days that yeah. Moses was with him. So, you know, you're adding all these together. And it said that he Moses was sustained. He didn't take food or water up there with him. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 80 okay. days. What's that work out to be? I mean, that's... Yeah, just call it six weeks. Yeah, it's quite a while. Now, oh, and Moses, let's see, verse 9. He admits, we are stick-necked people. I... Uh, Again, he asks, I pray, go among us, even though we are stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us as your inheritance. So so Moses is like, yes, you're right. We're stiff-necked. We don't change well. Then God, immediately, he goes into renewing the covenant. Now, this is that same covenant that has been told over and over again since Abram's time, that this the people are going to be given this land. And he reestablishes that he is going to one who clears the way. But then he tells them, don't make any covenants with any of the people in the area. Don't go in. Don't start making treaties with anybody. Don't start making friends with anybody, which is kind of different from our concepts today as Christians, because we think if we're going to go in and, let's say, conquer someplace for Christ, that we're going to be going in. We're going to make friends with people, and we're going to try to uh, draw them to the, our way of thinking about God. Uh, and here at this time... In history, God is saying, don't do that at all. Yeah. Well, don't assimilate to those cultures whatsoever. You're going to be a different people. You're going to be my people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Don't assimilate at all. So mm -hmm. I guess my thought is, you know, there was kind of, we've talked about plan A and plan B. But when it comes to the blessing that God gave Abraham, plan A was that the Israelites would be God's special people and that they would be a light to the world and that the way that they acted and the way that they interacted with God and God interacted with them would be the example which the whole world followed because they could see how amazing it was. Mm -hmm. So that didn't happen. Instead, Jesus came, he was crucified, and then after, after Jesus then the Jews were no longer the chosen people and the gospel went to the went to the Gentiles, went to everybody. And that's when I think that things became a lot more integrative, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So that's sure. kind of how I see that. So like under the first idea, you're supposed to be this shining beacon of all that it can be. And that requires exclusivity. And so then later, when the gospel is to go to the whole world, Without that shining beacon, it requires inclusivity. Does that make sense? Yep, it does. Now, God talks about him, how he is a jealous God, and he has told them, how did he put it? There's somebody up before me. Well, yeah. Verse 13, he's like, you shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, cut down their wooden images. I mean, we're talking extreme prejudice against any mm -hmm. concept of anybody worshiping Anybody besides Yahweh. Uh, and not just worship either. It's 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 also don't make treaties with them and don't marry them. Have nothing to do with these people. They're going to get wiped out. That's what he's telling them. Um, well, or, or driven out. I don't think I don't think that the original plan was wiped out. I think the original plan yeah. was driven out. Yeah, that's a better way to say that. Absolutely. But yep, we're not going to have any interaction. We're going to keep our faith pure. And... Uh, he reinforces the 
some of the statutes there of the feasts of the firstborn being consecrated to God. Sabbath. Sabbath. And don't boil young goats in their mother's milk. <laughs> we yeah, we're back still to don't that. Have, we're back, back to that. We, I don't know. I'm not sure if this is a reminder or or uh, if this is just kind of Moses writing it down again in here because because uh, we're going to get to a lot of stuff where it's basically a review of things we've already covered. Let that, not forget the goat in its own milk. Do not it. forget that. <laughs> you know, I, I still can't wrap my brain around what that one's all about. Other than there must just it must just seem kind of obscene to to boil a, a you know, I mean, just imagine getting boiled in your own mother's milk. I mean, there's just something obscene about that. Yeah. Maybe I, you know, I just something, something there. I don't know what that's all about. Oh yeah, and okay. We talk about this Moses's face shining after meeting with God, literally shining. And I wonder what that would look like. You know, what, does it is it like, like coming from the inside? Is it just like he's glowing on the outside? Is it, is it like a like a light bulb or a or a light stick or is it like the way they know, described glitter. it? Those is it must have been an awesome sight because everyone was scared. Yeah, yeah. down to Aaron cool. was scared. It was mm-hmm. like, hey, okay, what's going on with you? Because well, people oh. don't glow. <laughs> yeah, no. But, but I mean, Aaron, like the guy who goes into the most holy place, like the only guy who can go into the most holy place. Aaron is scared. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What a man! That would be such a and and Moses didn't realize it. He didn't. He didn't even know that he was glowing. And then it was it just his face makes me wonder if it was you know like his whole body if everything glowed just that talk about his face because that's all that anybody saw. What you know, a point where he couldn't even speak. He just kind of you know outlined his face and and pointed to the the mountain and <laughs> you know, like something's different. Yeah. You know, it makes me wonder, you know, is this what Adam and Eve were like when they were meeting in the garden with with Jesus at the beginning? You know, when they probably were in a in a place where they could see God uh, in a more pure form, even than what Moses had seen. You know, were they walking around growing? Yeah, I don't think Adam and Eve had the same constraints. It says that came that God would come and walk with them in the evenings. So Mm -hmm. I don't think they had the same constraints. They. They were not fallen. So, yeah. you know, and I think with the same part, you know, as far as the whole, you know, illumination of his face, I think Adam and Eve had that totally. That's what was their, their garments was. Mm-hmm. So it's very near this, but, you know, I'm wondering too, in the, in the 40 days that he was up there that, you know, was it just, he was just absorbing basically that light and that power from, from God, you know, just being in that presence, um, just being filled, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if it's so much like filled with the Holy Spirit, but just filled with that, maybe just power, raw, ener- yeah, raw energy, presence. Yeah. Um, I did hear allusion once upon a time that when Adam and Eve realized that they were naked, what they were talking about is basically that when they had sinned, they had lo- maybe lost some of that glow. Yep. I can't confirm that, but uh, it would make it would stand to reason here that if they were now no longer in God's presence in the way they had been, they would have noticed a physical difference in themselves. Mm-hmm. 
and and you know like adam eve you know where's your glow oh, and their wow. and their immediate reaction whatever this was when that happened for them however that manifested the reaction within the two of them was oh oh we we've got to cover up yeah so mm-hmm. they had felt they had looked covered before and they had felt covered before and now it was neither and their reaction to that was uh oh uh let's sew some leaves together and see if yeah. we can see that if we can cover this up difference. very very interesting interesting to think that that's how that's what we're supposed to look like we're supposed to have this glow just from just from being in God's presence just God, I don't know gosh it's just it's amazing it's interesting and I I can't wait to see it someday. You know, but I I, has, you, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has even entered into man's hearts the things that God has prepared. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and I think too, even I think it was, you know, everything in general. It was just being in the presence. It was being sustained by God for forty days. So no food, no water, just in His presence. I think absorbing all of it. You know, living on all of it changed his his outward presentation. Yeah, and nobody could look at him. Nobody, well, nobody wanted to look at him because it was freaking him out. Right to the point he had to wear a veil over his face. Mm-hmm. Well, thirty-five goes back into some reviews of statutes that have already been given. The first thing right off is the Sabbath regulations. Sabbath is being reinforced once again. You're not gonna you're not gonna work on the Sabbath. I don't remember before this has there been talk about a death penalty for not keeping the Sabbath. I don't remember that before this point. I don't either. I don't remember that. But what it tells me is that this was intended to be taken very, very seriously. Don't mess with this. Because, as we've talked about here before, the Sabbath was supposed to be a reminder that God is the one who created this. Don't mess around with that. Seems to me that yeah. It also of... said um, it also said even in planting and harvest season, rest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah. I've I've heard stories of people keeping Sabbath, and like one, I think there was something. There was like a potato crop or something like that, and one particular farmer said, "Nope, I'm not gonna." Everybody's like, "You got to go get them out of the ground. You got to go get them out. You got to do it right now." And the farmer's like, "Nope, I'm not gonna do it on the Sabbath." He leaves his in the ground. Everybody else pulls theirs out. There's a crazy freeze, and everybody else's potato crop freezes and is no good. His is still in the ground and it's protected. But you know the idea that even even when your livelihood is depending on it, mm-hmm. don't go and mess with the Sabbath because this is really important. And one day we're only asking for one day out of the week. It's going to be fine. You can go the next day. Just do this. So that you keep in mind who is in charge. Okay, so in the new, te- okay, so with that kind of stringency placed on people's behavior, mm-hmm. you can see why by the time Israel got to the New Testament, they had what, 600 and whatever laws just on how to keep Sabbath. Yeah. And they were following the form of the law rather than the spirit of the law, right? Right. So, this, this stringency is what breeds that in humans, even though God says over and over, we read some, we read some verses in Hosea last week. It talked about like, I hate your worship because it doesn't come with your heart. I hate how you're doing things because it doesn't come with sincerity. You know, there's the, <clears throat> there's the text in Micah that we read a few weeks ago that talks about, 
Is it the is it the process of sacrifice? Is that what's doing it? No, that's not what's doing it. Love, justice, and mercy. Live humbly before God, right? So we've got all these examples of what is supposed to be the priority of worship. And yet, when you've got laws, you know, humans, we tend to get focused on the outside of things. We tend to not bother to look inward. Even if we can, even in the aspects that we can, we tend to not look inward towards the heart. We only measure by what's happening on the outside. Hence, by the time Jesus comes, they've basically ruined religion by having hundreds and hundreds of laws. Like, well, you have to you have to pin your handkerchief to your robe. You can't carry it because if you carry it on the Sabbath, you're working. Are you kidding me? Like, you just right. need to wipe your nose. Like, calm down, right? Mm-hmm. And so this, and yet, and yet, Jesus himself says the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So it's very hard. Like this is a tricky sort of fulcrum. Like how do you balance that? How do you balance a death penalty for breaking it with the statement, this is for you. You're not for it. It's for you. You see what I'm getting at? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't, I don't, yeah. How does that, how does that guys, how does that strike you guys? You know, it's it's clearly something that I think when the Israelites finally, you know, once they finally got back from their exile uh, in Babylon, which we'll get to eventually. But it's like after they got back from that, they finally realized, you know what, we need to take this stuff seriously. And that's when they started compiling all this stuff. And even some of the Jews today, the more orthodox ones, they really take Sabbath seriously. I mean, really seriously. Like, you know, here it talks about don't kindle fires on the Sabbath where they're today. They're like, don't use electricity. Don't turn on a light switch. Don't turn on anything electric. If you need it, if you need electricity before or during Sabbath, you turn it on before Sabbath. You do not do it during Sabbath at all. Well, there are modern ovens that have a Sabbath setting like you can program mm -hmm. them on Friday to yeah. come on at a certain time and bake for this long at a certain temperature and then shut themselves off. So this, I mean, that's that understanding is kind of built into society in certain places even today. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah. and they even call those Sabbath settings. And yeah. I think a lot of people don't even know what the word means anymore, you know. But uh, people who keep Sabbath still, obviously, they understand. Um, but, Tracy, yeah. Tracy, you going to say something a while back? What were you going to say? I don't know. I forgot. <laughs> oh, okay. We got too 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 wordy, too talky. Um, but yeah, that idea that this is so super 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 important. But don't uh, how do I want to how do I, how am I trying to say it? Don't do it to the point where you make it a. It's not a burden. That's what I'm trying to say. It's it's super important, but don't make it a burden. And I think that's what Jesus was trying to say when he's talking about it's made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Don't you know? It's not to be taken lightly, but don't make it a burden either. Well, but like his example, his, 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 his examples that he gave in that moment were like, if you, if you, if you, if there's an ox that's fallen into the ditch on the Sabbath, you know, get together and pull it out, mm-hmm. like pull it out, you know, so that yep. that's not work. So, right. so this idea that rest means physical inactivity is, is it, it becomes a misguided notion through this whole, we're going to keep the letter of the law so that we don't get stoned and so that we can prove that we're honoring God and how great we are. So I don't know. That's just, I just think that, I just think that you can take any set of laws, God's laws, humans laws or whatever. And I think you can slice them so thinly that they become really, really hard to keep 
because it's hard to keep both the spirit and the letter mm-hmm. and keep keep perspective throughout. Right. Okay, well, the Tracy, chapter... I think he agrees with me. <laughs> Do we have a choice, Karen? <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> All right, well, the... the, the the chapter goes on to start talking about the articles that are going to be inside the tabernacle. So all these things that we talked about where God says, I want you to build these things. Now Moses is telling us about how they were actually building these things, and these things were going to go in there. Now the thing that that uh, got me interested here was verse 21, chapter 35. says, Everyone came whose heart was stirred and everyone whose spirit was willing – and they brought the Lord's offering for the work of the tabernacle of meeting for all its service and for the holy garments. And we get in the next chapter, it talks about how they ended up with more than enough. But it was, again, I think I talked about this once before. Nobody was forced to do this thing. It was if you want to do it and the people who wanted to do it came in and they made offerings of all these different pieces that were going to need different precious metals, stones, wood. Uh, yarn, different textiles. Mm-hmm. You know, they were going to have to. They were going to have to dye all these fabrics and such. All these things came because people wanted to help. And I, I contrast that now to like a, a church building fund. You know, we. How long have we been in our current building? Five mm-hmm. years, five, something like years. that. You know, and we're still paying it off. You know, and. Uh, of course, it's still being done by people who want to help, but you know we also do it by renting out our our church when we're not using it, and um, it's just so so different. Where they like almost immediately had everything they needed, plus extra to the point where Moses had to shut it down. It's like no, don't bring any more because we don't need it, right. and uh, and now it's it's well, it's kind of different. Go ahead. I w- I would argue that this was an exception because. God brought them out of Egypt and specifically said, the Egyptians are going to give you a bunch of stuff and that's how you're going to plunder them, right? They were basically a conquered nation at that point and they gave, they just willingly gave of the wealth of Egypt to the Israelites on their way out. And I still, I still laugh every time I have a mental image of some Israelite woman like packing mm-hmm. to leave Egypt and like, oh, well, I have to leave this behind because that's too heavy to carry. And then here comes her Egyptian friend is like, I have a bunch of precious stones and bars of gold for you. Okay. 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 I mean, okay. I'll, I guess I'll just uh, take this with me now. But, Mm -hmm. but God had all of this in mind specifically because the tabernacle, the sanctuary was supposed to be special. It was supposed to be the most beautiful thing that they had. This, this sort of icon of everything gorgeous that could be created with what they had in the desert and he provided for it. So I think that all of this was set up in advance and that all of the generosity of the Egyptians and the generosity of the Israelites when it came down to it was inspired. Yeah. No, I I agree with you a hundred percent that it was inspired. And and I think too, just being, and I'll say it again, like we started off the conversation is they were just very stiff necked and very stubborn because if we kind of look back on it with hindsight, they didn't really didn't need to pack. They only needed one set of clothes and one set of sandals because they never wore out. You yeah. know, everything else was brought for a purpose. You know what? They were adorned with all the riches of Egypt because it was going to be used. Yeah. Either sure. one for their cleansing and refining because, you know, 
I would venture to say that the Lord knew that this was going to happen with the golden calf. And you know what? He'd already made provisions because they ground that into nothing and made the people drink it. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, count off that gold and, and whatever else. And there was still more than enough to the point of where saying, you know what? Stop bringing it because I don't need it. Mm -hmm. We don't finish this temple or the sanctuary. Yeah. Well, Karen, I want you. You might remember a conversation we had. Gosh, it might have been a year ago or more. We were talking about the use of badger skins on the <laughs> temple. Yes. And how it was. Some translations say badgers. Some translations say dolphins. Right, I know. And for different <laughs> reasons, neither one of those makes sense. Because first of all, neither one of them would have been considered clean animals, and I can't imagine God saying, "Use the skins of unclean animals." on my sanctuary that is all supposed to be representing me. But then also dolphins. There was no dolphins anywhere around them that I'm aware of. I mean, they certainly wouldn't have been in the Red Sea. That's uh, that's freshwater, I believe. Now, I guess there are freshwater dolphins. But either way, I think either one of those, that translation's just got to be wrong. That's so weird. I do remember that conversation. I just remember scratching my head like, seriously, dolphin skin? I, just I mean, I get you, it's waterproof, but... Yeah, I was just wondering if you could remember, because we, we had looked up something. I wonder if, if you could remember, we had come up with something that made more sense, where it was like antelope or something like that, but I never well, did understand why they said badger or dolphin. Yeah, I never understood it either, but all we looked up, and I don't remember where that was, but, but all that we looked up was in my side-by-side. -side. So I've got this parallel version of the Bible that has four versions side-by-side, -side, and I read all four of them of that verse, and that was where that's what we were discussing. Yeah. So there's something something going on there. I don't know what it is, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't badgers. I'm almost 100% sure it wasn't dolphins. Uh, so you know, they're saying they're saying, though, here, I just quickly looked it up but it says that dolphin skins were used because they were um that their outermost layer of skin was so thick and it was 20 times thicker than any other animal skin that was there so i'm wondering too with thinking back and how tearing of the 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 most holy in between there was such a awe-inspiring kind of thing if that was the thickness that was used to keep that so where it wasn't necessarily by itself it was maybe had the textiles over it or sewn sewn onto it or something just provide thickness and maybe even waterproof to it i don't know yeah but it's i don't know thick. yeah interesting interesting i don't know it's just it's, a, okay, it's an odd, it. oddity I looked, I looked it up it's okay. exodus twenty six fourteen. Yep. So here's the four versions that I have. So NIV says, make, so this is instructions for the tabernacle. So make for the tent a covering of ram skins dyed red, and over that, a covering of the other durable leather. Okay? Yep. And then the New Living Translation, which is a paraphrase, says, complete the tent covering with a protective layer of tanned ram skins and a layer of fine goat skin leather. All right, and then New King James says, you shall also make a covering of ram skins dyed red for the tent and a covering of badger skins above that. And then the message says, 
make a covering for the tapestries of tanned ramskins dyed red, and over that, a covering of dolphin skins. So, <laughs> I know that I know that in the Torah, it actually talks about dolphin skins. Hmm. Interesting. And there's an idea that they were from the Red Sea. Because I remember looking that up later after we had that discussion like a year ago. Yeah. Well, you know, I could be flat well, wrong. All yeah. Right. I, well, we'll never the, know. <laughs> yeah. The goat skins still makes more sense to me. I do know that like with making leather jackets, goat skins are known to be very, very tough. If you want a, if you want a leather jacket that's going to last a long time, you get one made out of goat. Versus like lamb skin is really is thin and pliable and comfortable, but a goat skin jacket is going to be much more uh, durable. So, you know, what? I don't know. I was looking it up on another one and it could be they were saying it could be lost in the translation that it is a word that's called and I'm probably going to brutalize this, but Takish. T-A-C-H-A-S-H, which is just more of a colorful kind of um, skin. And it could often be colored goat skin or that of like giraffes. But it just has different blues and violets coverings. So they said it could very well be lost in translation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it probably is intended. We're supposed to figure out that it was supposed to be a good, a good, tough covering it was I, nice and usable yeah, yeah. And i think because i think that was what went over the roof of the tabernacle i think that's mm-hmm. what they were using there so something they needed something waterproof something tough something that could withstand the weather when it was put up but so yeah we we're talking we're told about how all the things that were brought in different jewelry textiles silver bronze wood yarn stones spices and incense bezalel and aholiab were chosen by God specifically to put all these things together. And I guess they probably put together crews and stuff to, to um, make these things. And what an honor that would be for those two guys to be specifically uh, chosen for their skills. We talk about, you know, Moses having the ability to, to, to knock out a couple of tablets of stone. And these guys are going to be the ones who put the whole temple together. And it was probably one of the most beautiful things they'd ever seen. And we've already talked about how they brought, they brought so much that Moses had to tell him to stop. Then it goes into the description of how the sanctuary is built. How uh, we talk again about building the ark, which is the physical meeting place. That's where they're going. That's where the priest will go and physically meet with God. Uh, they talk about the, sh- the table for the showbread. We've talked about how Jesus—it's a symbol of Jesus as being the bread of life. The golden lampstand, which is a symbol of Jesus as the light of the world. You got your altar of incense, different anointing oils. Uh, Exodus 38 goes back into and it's talking about the altar and the laver for for washing. Uh, it talks about the building of the court of the tabernacle and the materials of the tabernacle. Now, this I I looked at this a little bit. The the just the sheer amount of 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 uh, precious metals put into this talks about. 29 and change, 29 talents and, and change of gold, depending de- depending on, I'm, I'm going to go on the upward size of this, because uh, a talent, they said, I was reading, could be anywhere between 72 and 110 pounds. Mm-hmm. So if we round it out at about 100 pounds, 
We're talking about 3,000 pounds of gold. We're talking about 11,000 pounds of silver and nearly 8,000 pounds of bronze. And this was stuff that these people had been carrying around from Egypt. That was, my point. That was going to be my point, is to say they were carrying this stuff. They had it. And they have more because they had to tell them to stop bringing it. So there was more. And there was more. Nearly 22,000 pounds of precious metals these people had been carrying around the desert of Sinai for almost 40 years. <laughs> yeah. Because I, wonder it's not like... glad, I wonder if they were glad to sit there for a year. <laughs> and the, the Levites were the guys who got to carry it all after this point. <laughs> and they're probably like, oh, thanks. Exodus 39 goes into talking about the garments of the priesthood. We've talked about the ephod, the press, the, the, the breastplate, other garments. Uh, it brought up pomegranates again. I had to know why pomegranates. And so I just Googled it quickly. And apparently, at least now, I don't know back then, but in Jewish tradition, pomegranates were a symbol for righteousness. So that, oh. that tracks. Um, okay. And also now... Uh, they were saying it was saying that at the time it was believed, or at some point in time it was believed that pomegranates held 613 seeds, and that that correlated with the 613 commandments in the Torah. Mm. I, but I mean, since then it's in, been disproven that all pomegranates carry 613 seeds. But that's just kind of one of the little legends that go along with it. But the idea that that somehow pomegranates <laughs> were a symbol for righteousness was so funny. That's just like really we're counting pomegranate seeds. Okay, All I know, right. I know. Yeah. Well, huh? yeah. We talk about you know s slicing the the commandments thin. There you go. You're walking around the desert for forty years. And you got a lot of time on your hands. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. But uh, and in Christian tradition, pomegranates and I'm not aware I wasn't aware of this tradition, but pomegranates have come on to take on um, being a symbol of a promise of eternal life. Mm. So at least there's a little significance for today anyway of, of, of why pomegranates. I think probably that whole symbol of righteousness would track better with me than than the other. But so there's a there's at least a clue towards the mystery of the pomegranates for us. And we're told that. The Israelites followed these instructions for a change. Of course, they were always usually quick to start. They'd always say they were going to do it, but this time they actually did it. They did everything that was that was instructed to them. And the last chapter of Exodus, chapter forty, uh, we're told about how the tabernacle was was built, and it was they oh they put it up on the first day of the first month of their second year that they were there. And this was the month of Nisan, which for us is somewhere in the middle of March. And then we're given some uh, description of the locations of the articles in the sanctuary. So you can, you could, you can kind of help me here. You'd have your tabernacle within the courtyard. So the tabernacle was basically this wooden structure with a roof of dolphin or badger or goatskins. But that would be divided up by a curtain inside, and in the very back of that would be uh, the Ark of the Covenant in what was called the Most Holy Place. Then outside of that, still inside of that structure, on either side, and I don't remember which side what was where, but on one side you would have this table of showbread, 
on the other side would be the holy place. And I should probably talk about this in terms of, of points of the compass, because if you are in the most holy place facing, or if you're in the holy place facing the most holy place inside that tabernacle, you're facing west because, because the, the, the sanctuary was set up so that the front gate of it or curtain of it, if you're facing out, you're facing east. So if you're facing west you know, on, 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 the, on the north and south of you, then you have the showbread and you have the lampstand. Now, somewhere in there, in line, I, I don't, didn't quite get this, but in somewhere in there you have your, your uh, incense burning. I got that I was like right in line with, with the ark somehow or other. And I'm pretty sure that was in the holy place, not the most holy place, which would make sense because I think people only went into the most holy place like what once a year. Yeah. Uh, so 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 it wouldn't make sense that it wouldn't make sense that that incense would be inside there with it. So it would have been in the holy place area, like in the middle of the room, basically is the way I take it. Now, if you step outside of there, then you're in the courtyard, and in line with that, you have the laver where they would they would ritually wash before going into the holy place. And then they also have the altar outside. So that laver is between the altar and the holy place. And then you have this courtyard that surrounds everything. They would anoint this, the whole tabernacle with oil. They would anoint the altar. And the altar was also called most holy. I thought that was kind of interesting. You have your most holy place where, where, uh, the mercy seat sits where the ark sits and where God would would meet, but then also at at the altar where the sacrifice would be would be uh, made, that was also called most holy. Found that interesting, but they would anoint everything with oil and and consecrate it that way. Aaron and his sons they would be washed, they'd be clothed with sanctuary garments, they would get anointed, and the first month of the second year is when this tabernacle was put up for the first time. That's so that's so interesting. I wonder I wonder where I wonder how long it took to put this together. You know, we think of them coming to Mount Sinai after the Red Sea, but I don't remember how long that took. And then like they camped there for it wasn't very long. I thought they'd only been there like a month when God said, Okay, mm -hmm. we're gonna do the Ten Commandment thing. And then yeah. it was like forty That'll days. Do, yep. Yeah, and then it was like 40 days and then like explosion of horrible stuff that happened and then 40 days again. And then did they spend the rest of the year building this thing? How incredible like to it. think that. Yeah. yeah, it sounds like it. A lot of, a lot of work going By the time they it up, they're at the beginning of the second year since they left. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it goes back to the order and the purpose that, you know, God sets aside for all this. He plans for all of it. And the mm -hmm. sons of Levi... um, or Aaron's sons, they were each tasked with carrying certain parts of this. So yeah. it was it was a great undertaking. You know, there was there was a structural people that carried the rods and the rings and everything yeah. else. And, you know, they kind of went in, did their thing. Then the next, you know, brother and their group went in and did the thing. So it was it was a, a good undertaking, but it was very organized. Mm-hmm. I can't let this go, so I've just been here looking and they said back in Egypt that at the Red Sea, there was like a species of manatee. They're called like, I'm going to say this wrong too, but dugongs maybe. They said it's oh. a certain species, but yeah. they would hunt these because they were, they were swam pretty close to the edges. They were also called like a sea cow. 
and they were they're thick blubber their skin was rubbery it was waterproof so they said that's probably what it was yeah mm. so garments made of that yeah and that that makes sense because one of the things that I saw said that it was that it was very definitely the word what was it tack tack Tackish or something like that. Yeah. It should be translated as a, it was definitely a sea creature. Yep. Sea cow is what they were called. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty big, a lot of skin, a lot of blubber. They, uh, the Egyptians would eat it as well as make clothes out of it. I don't know, maybe for like the, you know, the seafaring, you know, groups or workers or whatever, um, that worked in maybe the Nile, but yeah, they had clothes that were basically like waterproof. Hmm. So here's um, just just because this is hilarious. There are apparently contradictory versions of the Talmud around the world. The Jerusalem Talmud says it's a blue colored goat skin. The Babylonian Talmud says that it is a unique creature that only existed at that time, which had a single horn on its forehead and presented itself to Moses when it was needed. Oh, so hmm. unicorns. Sure. Okay. Anyway, I know there are translations. I think King James says unicorns somewhere along the line. I don't remember exactly where that is, but yeah, right. Anyway, you know? kind of interesting. I also the actually the most interesting thing about that to me was I didn't know there were different versions of the Talmud around. Hmm. I suppose. I mean. Yeah, it makes you know, sense. Early I scrolls. Mean, he, yeah, well, even our even our Bible is tra- different. Translations come from different uh, uh, manuscripts. Yeah, you know, so it, just, it makes sense. Well, we're told that it says when the cloud was over the tabernacle that Moses couldn't go in. Where did I read that? Because before it was like when he would go into the tabernacle, that was when when the cloud would come down. Maybe I've read that meeting, wrong. Okay, so the tent of meeting the set that was set up outside the camp mm-hmm. before the tabernacle was put up, he would go there and meet with with the, when the cloud was there. Okay, so different so, thing. Yeah, that's that's not the same thing as a sanctuary. Gotcha. So when this cloud would come over the tabernacle, then Moses couldn't could not go in there, but it. it was interesting here to me. It says the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Found that this would be an interesting phrase. How the whole that whole tabernacle would just be filled with God's glory, and uh, whenever that cloud would go up, that would be the Israelite sign that it's time to pack up and go and move on. And that was the way they would. Uh, that's the way they would travel around. God would get up, his cloud would go up, and uh, they would start packing. I guess. And time to go, and and they had that cloud by day and fire by night, and it says it was in the sight of all the house of Israel, so everybody could see this all the time, and there was no doubt, there could be no doubt among any of the people there that God was was with them because they would see this all the time. Yep, that's so cool. Mm-hmm. I hate I hate feeling like my faith is weak, but there are so many times where I just think to myself, 
I could relax and trust everything to God if I just had a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. You know what I mean? Like, and I know that's not actually true because whatever you have, you get used to. <laughs> I have the right. entire history of the world and the entire Bible, and I, I have all of that. So I have way more to go off of than the Israelites did. But I still, I still have all of that. And I think to myself, if I just had a literal representation, then I could calm down. <laughs> And that's, yeah. I, I think I said this uh, probably a couple of weeks ago, but that's what um, was said that, you know, even in that day with all the signs and everything that they got, they became um, jaded or mind yeah. just complacent and it yeah. lost its impact. impact and significance that they could still be stiff necked is the word for today and not do what the Lord was asking them to do or want to do what they wanted to do. Yeah. And I can't even fathom that except that I have so much room to doubt in my own present circumstances that I have to I have to just understand that that's human nature. Like it doesn't matter what you have. You will get used to it and you will start to disregard it and you will start to look for more. And so I I as frustrated as I get with them, I'm like, "Hmm, you ain't any better there, Karen." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think we all probably tend to think that way. It'd be really nice to have have that physical re representation, uh, but if we really search down and we look at what the how the Israelites were, we'd probably realize that we would have been in the same boat, and uh, we probably would have fallen short too, and probably still would today. Well, that wraps up the book of Exodus for us. Next week, we're going to get into the book of Leviticus. Now, Leviticus is kind of more of the same of the end of Exodus, where it's a lot of regulations and, you know, very specific things that they were going to be required to do. But there is, there's a lot of wisdom in there still, too, because if I'm bouncing through here, just look, I'm looking at uh, the eyes of ideas of, uh, oh, laws of sexual morality. That's that's going to be relevant. Uh, penalties. Um, yeah. Just all kinds of things in Leviticus. Of course, that root of there is Levi. So this is this is stuff that the uh, priests would have had to have known. I'm guessing. And uh, we will be in Leviticus for a bit. We might. I don't know how long it'll take us to go through. It's really not that long of a book. Twenty-seven. Yeah. So I know Leviticus can be a place where people check out, but I think uh, I think we're going to see some interesting stuff there, and we're going to be able to apply a lot of that to our lives even for today. So let's uh, start preparing for that. Start reading through the book of Leviticus, and uh, we'll see how far we get there. In the meantime, keep in mind that you can reach us at attbpodcast at theadventure.org. You can search for us on Facebook. Just look for Adventure Through the Bible. Be sure you share the podcast with your friends and your family. Help us get the word out. Be sure you subscribe to us. Make sure you can... You let your friends know that they can find us on Spotify, they can find us on Apple Podcasts, they can find us on Google Podcasts and a handful of others uh, they're out there, not too hard to find so uh, keep listening uh, thanks uh, for joining us this week cool beans <laughs>